Thanks for joining us online for today's message from our Sunday morning service, where we are learning how to make disciples who love God, love others, and serve the world. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged. For more information about Wilmot Center Missionary Church, go to wcmc.ca. Now prepare your hearts for what God wants to speak to you today. Pastor Rob asked me to follow up on part two of the authority of Jesus, and that sort of ties in with what I was just saying about we need to be abandoned to his will and to his way and to his authority. And uh, we're going to follow up on in our theme, a disciple is, and today's message for me is, a disciple is someone who is submitted to and engages in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're submitted to Christ and they know how to engage his authority in the reality of their lives. Pastor Rob spoke on the characteristics of a disciple as a follower, as a witness of Jesus. He spoke about the authority of Jesus as the foundation for our discipleship, and he wants me to follow up on that and continue to looking at Jesus' authority. Well, you know, authority is a very important topic for all of us, isn't it? We're all living under some authority. We have authorities over us. It might be the government, it could be our bosses, it could be our teachers, it could be our parents, it could be the police, it could be our spiritual leaders. Hopefully it is the Holy Spirit. He should have authority in our lives. We all enjoy some level of authority, usually, with parents over their kids, employer over an employee, whoever it is that we're impacting in life, we have authority. We also have authority for ourselves. We become autonomous, more or less. It's the power to command or... The question is, what is authority? And Webster's Dictionary says it's the power to command or act, the person endued with such a power. It is the legal right to act for ourselves or to direct others. The root of that word, or the, the prefix on that word, is the same word that we have in authority, or uh, in authority is also auto, as in self, like an automobile is self-propelled. We have a democracy, which is the will of the people. An autocracy is the will of self. We have autonomy, which means self-law. And we have authority, which means to be self-determining. I get to decide what happens. And that can be a good thing, or it can be a not-so-great thing. The uh, Greek word in, that's used in the New Testament is exousia. It's the right to command, and it's, it's a legal right. And it's different than the word dunamis, which means the power Dunamis is the physical power to make happen what your authority determines. Okay, you put both of those things together, authority and dunamis, exousia and dunamis, you get anointing in the Holy Spirit. How do we get authority? It's a good question. Well, we can get it by birth. Occasionally somebody is born into the royal family and simply because they are a son or a daughter of the king or queen, they have a level of authority that comes to them simply because they're in the family line. For example, Prince Harry has a level of authority. What did he do to get it? Absolutely nothing. He got born. That was it. But he has some authority and more will be given to him. We also gain authority by our position. And depending on that position, it has a level of authority that's automatically or inherent with it. And it's guaranteed when the person comes into that position. For example, if I was to be hired as a policeman, I would have a new authority that came to me simply because I was in that position. I could yell at a passing car, halt in the name of the law. And I would have authority to do that, wouldn't I? 
I wouldn't have the dunamis to do that. I couldn't physically make the car stop. I'd just get run over. But if I'm not a policeman, I can stand on the street corner all day and go, stop in the name of the law. And all you would do is think, let's get out of here. That guy's crazy. Because I don't have authority if I'm not a policeman. Thirdly, we get to have authority by merit. Some people earn the right to speak into another person's life because of the way they have invested their own in that person. For example, we know the story of Joseph being sold down into Egypt. He rose to that level of authority, basically second in command in all of Egypt. Why? Because of his giftedness and his character and the way he had sown his life into the affairs of the, of the uh, nation of Egypt and into Pharaoh's house. Paul had authority to speak to the churches. Why? Because he had laid down his own life to go church planning, start the church, get it established, sow into it, pour his life into it. At one place he said, I didn't just give you the gospel message, I gave you my own life as well. And because he had invested in those people, he had a right to speak into their lives and continue to do so apostolically. Can I suggest to you that Jesus has authority in all three of those ways? First of all, he was born the Son of God, and you have no better inheritance than that. He had authority because of his birth. He had authority because of his position. Jesus was the Christ, the anointed one. That word Christ, by the way, is not his last name. Some people, seem to, some people think his name was Jesus Christ, and that's his last name. If that were true, his dad would be Mr. Joseph Christ, and his mom would be Mrs. Mary Christ. But that's not true. Christ was the title for the position that he held. The Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. And because of that, he had authority. He had anointing. Thirdly, he had authority because of his merit, because of his obedience. He learned authority. We're all familiar with what Philippians 2 has to say about that. I just want to read that to you. We're going to start at verse 5 and go through verse 11. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That was what he did to earn his authority, what he would do. So let's go on in verse 9. For this reason, this is why, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. He earned his authority by dying on the cross. Jesus has authority on all three levels. In Matthew 28, 19, and 20, he said this, his last words to the church, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and preach the gospel. You cannot have legitimate spiritual authority until you're dead. You cannot have legitimate spiritual authority until you're dead. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about physical death. When you're dead, you don't care how much authority you have, okay? That's a done deal. 
I'm talking spiritually dead or soul dead. You're dead to yourself. See, only people who are really dead to themselves can walk in legitimate spiritual authority. They come without self-interest. They come without self-agenda. They come committed to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that is why they can be endued with authority. Why is that? Because if you're not dead to self and you have authority, you will eventually use it for yourself. And God does not give his authority to us so we can please ourselves. He gives us his authority so that we can minister to others. Let me tell you where we're going this morning. That's all preamble, okay? But we're looking at Luke chapter 7. This morning, the first 10 verses is the story of the centurion and his sick servant. And we're going to be looking at it uh, through the eyes of people who have a need, who have a need to see the authority of Jesus exercised in their own circumstances. And we have this one question in mind, how do we as followers of Jesus avail ourselves of his authority in the reality of our lives? Or we could put it this way, how do we get him to do for us what we need him to do? Good question. Wouldn't you like to know that? How about this? How do we get Jesus to engage his authority on our behalf? After all, we believe that Jesus loves us, that God is for us, he's not against us, but we're stuck in this tension between what is real and what we wish was real, and we need Jesus to do something for us. So we're going to be looking at six different principles for life in terms of engaging Jesus' authority. We're gonna, I'm just going to review those quickly for you. We're going to go into the passage and see them illustrated in that passage then we're going to wrap up, and then we're going to pray. Okay, so here are the principles. You don't have to get them all down now because they'll show up again eventually. But here they are. First of all, engaging the authority of Jesus means that we need to ask Jesus to exercise his authority. Number two, engaging the authority of Jesus requires humility on our part and the boldness to apply grace. Number three, engaging the authority of Jesus means that when we know that we're not worthy, we ask anyway, and we ask in faith. Number four, engaging the authority of Jesus requires an accurate understanding of authority. Number five, engaging the authority of Jesus is not just a matter of logic, but also of faith. And number six, engaging the authority of Jesus means asking Jesus to exercise his authority and then leaving the results up to him. So let's go into the passage in Luke chapter 7. We're looking at verses 1 to 10. It's a great story, and it's got some really good lessons for us. As I said before, the authority of Jesus is the functional basis for discipleship. Why would we follow somebody who has absolutely no authority? Kind of reminds me of, of Paul when he was addressing the crowd on Mars Hill. He said, you worship gods that can't see and can't hear and can't do anything for you. And the, the implication is, what's the point of that? If your gods are impotent, if they have no authority, there is no point in worshiping them. But it is the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ that is the basis for our discipleship. You cannot be a true disciple until you recognize and submit to the authority of Jesus. You know, that's, that's almost countercultural to what we see in the world, isn't it? Everybody gets to do their own thing. Everybody gets to believe whatever they want to believe. And God should get good with that. But that's not how it works. We need to be submitted to the authority of Jesus. Not only does, is submission required, it is also the key that gives us the privilege of engaging his authority on our behalf. 
Let's look at the whole passage. We'll read it, and then we'll go back and uh, take it apart a little bit. So this is Luke 7, 1 to 10. When he, Jesus, had completed all his discourse, that's the Sermon on the Mount, by the way, uh, in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. A centurion's slave who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders. When he, that's the centurion, by the way, uh, heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason... I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. Then those who had been sent returned to the house. When they returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. Okay, that's as far as we're going to read. We're going to go back and see these different principles at work through these 10 verses. Number one, engaging the authority of Jesus means that we need to ask Jesus to exercise his authority. You see, there was no question in Scripture that Jesus had authority. He had legitimate authority over the sickness, over the disease, over what spiritual entity might have been involved, whatever it was, he had authority, but that authority did not do the centurion or his slave much good until they asked him to come and get involved in the situation. Right? I cannot imagine the centurion saying to his slave, I know you're sick, I know you're dying, I know Jesus can fix this, oh well. Right? He had to go and ask for Jesus to come and get involved. In order to do that, first of all, we need to recognize what our need really is. In this case, it was easy to find that. He knew his, sin, his slave, who was precious to him, he knew he was sick. He knew he was dying. You know what I found is people hardly ever know what their real issue is. They know what their pain is, but they don't really know what they really need from the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's important that we actually understand and recognize our real need. Secondly, if we're going to get help, we have to find out where to get help. Where do we go with this need? It says that the centurion, in verse 3, the centurion uh, heard about Jesus. Someone must have told him, and with that, it inspired some faith. By the way, and he heard about Jesus, is a Roman soldier who is in command of a hundred other soldiers. Right? A century is a hundred years. Centurion has a hundred guys working under him. And he heard about Jesus, and um, you know what? You can't follow Jesus if you haven't heard about him. just doesn't happen. In Romans 10, 13 to 15, it says this, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But it asks this question, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is, 
as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. However, they did not all heed the glad tidings, for Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? Here's the bottom line. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Somebody told the centurion about Jesus and that Jesus could actually help in that situation. So number three, first of all, you need to know your need. You need to find out where to get help. And thirdly, you have to ask to get help. In verses 3a and, and 4, 3 and 4a, when he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. And when they had come to Jesus, they earnestly entreated him. It's funny, they seem to get a little bit more urgent in their request. In verse 3, it says, they asked him, which just means to inquire about, do you suppose you'd like to come and heal this guy? But by verse 4, it says, they're earnestly entreating him. They're beseeching him. I was like, please come, we need you. Please, please, please. And so it seems like they stepped up uh, their the level of their requesting or their asking. Maybe that was out of fear. Maybe they thought the centurion sent us to get Jesus. We'd better not come home empty-handed. We have a job to do. We could get in trouble. But, you know, it sounds more like they had such high regard for the centurion that they were doing it more to honor him and to make sure that things were well with him. In verse 4, see how, how well they speak of him in verse 4? He says, For he is worthy for you to grant this to him. For A, he loves our nation. And B, it was he who built us a synagogue. Now, you know, I understand they're honoring him. They're, they're saying nice things about him. But in a sense, they were all wrong in their request. Okay? It kind of takes us back to the uh, uh, Genesis 12, to the Abrahamic covenant, where it says, I will bless those that bless you. It's a prophetic word about the nation of Israel. I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you. And so maybe they're picking up on that and saying, well, he blessed Israel, now you're obligated. But I would like to say to you that that is the wrong reason to go to Jesus for something because it is totally rooted in performance orientation. Jesus, he's been a good guy. He's done this for you. He's done this for us. Now you should do this. In other words, now you're obligated to do something back for him. Performance orientation says, you owe me, God. So you better perform the way I think you should. Come on, hop to it. It doesn't work that way. God will not be obligated. That brings us to uh, principle number two. Engaging the authority of Jesus requires humility on our part and the bold application of grace. The Jewish leaders were stuck in performance orientation. He's worthy. He deserves it. Look at what he's done. Therefore, you should. The centurion had a completely opposite statement. In verse 6, now Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends. He didn't send any more Jewish elders. He sent his friends this time. Don't know why. Saying, Lord, don't trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come to my house. I'm not even worthy enough for you to come or for me to come and talk to you myself. His understanding was almost totally the opposite they're saying, oh, he's a good guy. You should do this for him. He's going, I'm not even good enough to talk to you face to face. I am a worm. He also was stuck in performance orientation because he's looking at his past going, I don't deserve this. I have no right to ask. So he's still in performance orientation, isn't he? Because 
By saying that, he's saying, I haven't earned it, therefore I can't ask. Which also is the complete opposite of grace. Because grace is God's unmerited favor. It's something we can't earn. It's something we don't deserve. It is the goodness of God towards us in spite of who we are and what we've done. And that is the basis we can go to God and ask him for whatever. Because he is gracious and we can approach him. Whether we think we deserve it, which we don't, or whether we think we don't deserve it, which we don't, we can still go and ask for grace on his behalf. If someone says, oh, I don't deserve to get saved, you're right, you don't. I don't deserve to have God answer my prayer. You're right, you don't. I'm not good enough. You're not. But come anyway. Ask anyway. Jesus didn't come to heal the sick, or to heal the, the well. He came to heal the sick, didn't he? And so we have this gospel of grace that says God wants to do things for us. He wants us to avail ourselves of his authority. But we don't come because we think we deserve it. We don't stay away because we think we don't deserve it. We know that we're not good enough, and we come and we ask anyway. Principle number three, engaging the authority of Jesus means that when we know we're not worthy, we ask anyway, and we ask in faith. In verse seven, it says, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, and here's the big change, but. Okay, but's always a contrasting word in scripture, right? And he goes from, looking at himself to looking at Jesus, and this is what he says, I'm not worthy, but all you have to do is say the word and my servant will be healed. See, he understood the authority of Jesus, didn't he? He knew that Jesus had that right to ask. You know what? We never go to Jesus and demand that he do something for us. And I think a lot of people fall into that trap. God, if you really love me, you'd do this for me. That's emotional blackmail right? We just come and ask. You go because he's good. We taught our kids that they could always ask politely for whatever they wanted, and the answer would be yes, maybe, or no. But if they demanded, whined, cried, etc., etc., the answer was definitely no. So all we ever had to say was, is that whining I hear? Oh, no. Because they knew what the answer would be, right? We can ask the Father, but we cannot demand that he perform to our standards. But we do ask in faith. Principle four, engaging Jesus' authority requires an accurate understanding of authority. Here is why the uh, centurion could ask in faith when he was thinking about the authority of Jesus. He starts with, because I am a man under authority. Can I tell you, you do not really get authority or understand authority until you know how to live under authority? Does that make sense? That's where he started. I understand authority because I've been there. I have been under authority. I am under authority. I have somebody over me that tells me what to do. So he started with learning submission to authority. He knew how to walk under authority. If you're not prepared to come under your authority, you're not ready to walk in authority. He only knew how authority worked because he had come under it. Secondly, you need to learn how to exercise authority in legitimate ways. In verse 8b, he says, I have soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. In saying that, the centurion was saying to Jesus, I know you have authority 
over this sickness, over this disease, over what demonic oppressions my servant might be dealing with. I get it. I know you have authority, and all you have to do is say the word. How did he have that kind of assurance? Because he knew how authority worked. Basically, he's saying, Jesus, I know that you're the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the authority one. In Ephesians 1.20, it says this, which he, God, brought about in Christ. He was talking about his power, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. That's how much authority Jesus has, more than anybody else, more than anything else. He has authority. The centurion did not have that verse to look at. And he believed anyway. We have it, and we have that responsibility. Even so, the centurion knew that Jesus had authority over whatever it was that was afflicting his servant. Can I just say to you that if Jesus had authority over that, he also has authority over whatever it is that's bothering us today. He still has at, at least as much, if not more, authority today. Everything, every name that is named, he has a greater name and greater authority. This rich Gentile Jewish sympathizer recognized Jesus as the Christ, the anointed one, who had the authority to deal with his issues because he knew how to walk under authority and to walk in authority. Engaging, uh, principle five, engaging Jesus' authority is not just a matter of logic, but of faith. The centurion gave a logical reason. I'm under authority, I know what that is. I'm over people, I know how to exercise authority. You've got authority, I understand all of that. And what, his, I mean, it was totally step A, step B, step C, logic, right? Jesus hears the logic and he says, this is faith. In verse nine, now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the multitudes that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. His logic moved him to faith. The authority of Jesus is the basis on which we can expect results. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith pictures a positive outcome. If we want to engage the authority of Jesus, we need to ask in faith and expect to get what we ask for. In James 5.15, it says the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. What good does it say, I'm going to ask Jesus for this, but he's not likely going to give it to me? Okay? Jesus, give me a million dollars. I know he's not going to, but I thought I'd say it anyway. You know? Right? There's no faith in that. You have to believe in the outcome. Principle six, engaging the authority of Jesus means asking him to exercise authority and then leaving the results up to him. You know, as far as we know, the centurion never actually met Jesus face to face. There's nothing in the story that says Jesus went all the way to his house. We just have messages sent back and forth with Jewish elders and with friends. But the centurion still believed that Jesus had authority and he appealed to that authority. What was the answer in verse 10? When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. Now, you've got to wonder how they came back, right? I suppose the Jewish elders, it was maybe easier for them because, yeah, Jesus decided he would come. And it's like, we can live in faith because we see Jesus moving. But what if Jesus didn't go all the way to the house? These guys would have to go back in faith, not knowing really what the answer was. There's nothing in here that Jesus said, go your way, guys, it's all fine. I got this. Nothing. 
There is nothing in this story that says what Jesus was going to do. And they had to leave him and go back to the house in faith, wondering what Jesus had done or would do. And when they get there, they find this slave. We don't know if it's a male or a female, but the slave is in good health. Perfectly healthy, fine. One minute, the guy's dying. I guess it's a guy. is dying. He's on his deathbed. The next thing, they come home, and he's fine. What a mind-blowing experience. He's well. Jesus did what we asked. Yay, praise Jesus. They get home, and he is fine. You know what? Submitting to authority. Uh, actually, that word submission is not a real popular word these days. But it literally means to let somebody else do the choosing. If I submit to you, you get to choose. So this is my color deck from when I used to do painting. And there's a whole whack of colors here. Okay? So I'm going to pick on Deb. I don't know if the camera can follow me way over here or not. But I'm going to let, let's pretend I'm going to paint Derek's house for him. And I'm going to say, Derek, I'm going to submit to you. You get to pick whatever color you want. Look at all the pretty colors. Pick the one you want. And he's going to say, Maybe I should ask my wife what color to pick. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's not dumb. <laughs> he knows how it works. Pick one. Go ahead. Pick whatever color you'd like. No, that's not a good color. <laughs> pick another one. Uh, you're braver than me. <laughs> no, that's not a good color. Pick another one. <laughs> Am I submitting to her? No, you see. You go to somebody, you're going to paint their house. They get to pick, right? Only once when I was painting... Did I refuse to paint a house? This lady wandered her entire bedroom, ceiling, walls, everything, screaming Mimi Easter egg purple. And I went, I refuse. I'm not doing that. <laughs> it's like, but you know what? When we submit to the Lord Jesus, we say, okay, Jesus, you pick the one you want. You pick the path you want. You pick the thing for me that you want. And you get to pick. I don't get to go, no, Jesus, I'm not doing that. Submitting to authority means letting Jesus pick the color for your house. Okay, where are we going with this? Well, we're going to wrap up. To engage the authority of Jesus means that we need to ask him to do something for us. It means coming in humility and in boldness in grace. It means coming, the, even though we're unworthy, we ask him anyway and we ask in faith. It means that we understand how authority works. It's not just a matter of logic but of faith and we have to leave the results up to the Lord Jesus now this morning as we close off my question to you is there something in your life or in somebody else's life that you would like Jesus to exercise his authority over thanks for listening online with us we trust you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. If you have a prayer request or an encouraging story about what God has been doing in your life, please email us at amen at wcmc.ca. God bless.